If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. You've probably heard that you are the average of the five people you hang out with most. Today, I want to encourage you to stop and reflect for a moment on who you're spending most of your time with. Are they supportive? Are they encouraging? Are they motivated? And are they action takers? Or are they unhappy, unmotivated, and stuck? Or somewhere in between? Whoever you surround yourself with, they have a ripple effect on your results. The good news is that surrounding yourself with high achieving, motivated, happy people accelerates your success. And that's the whole point of this show. When you're ready to take the path toward financial freedom and fulfillment in your life and find out about the various masterminds that are available to you, if you're a high achiever, then we have room for you in our community. Go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. Hi, my next guest, Mike Michalowicz, is the author of several books, but his most recent book, Fix This Next, is the one that we're going to probably focus on today. I love the fact that he also wants to eradicate poverty amongst entrepreneurs and that he's got a really, really definitive way to do it. He's written other books and he sold two companies, one to a private equity and another to a Fortune 500 company by his 35th birthday. Today, he is running his third multi-million dollar venture, Profit for His Professionals. And Mike was a former small columnist on the Wall Street Journal and former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. He's traveled the globe, teaching thousands of entrepreneurs how to be better and make more and earn more and save more. And he has learned so much and we're going to dig into his mind today. So please help me welcome Mike Michalowicz to today's podcast. Rock, thank you so much for having me. So it's my pleasure. And you know, you are the entrepreneur's entrepreneur, the coach <laughs> of entrepreneurs. And I speak a lot to entrepreneurs and I am one too. So I'm interested to dig into this conversation. But I always like to go back a little bit and talk about how did you get the knowledge that you got? And then we're going to talk about your most recent book. You've got six books out. Um, you've got a wealth of information. You're passionate about helping people that are entrepreneurs not be struggling so much, which a lot of them are. Yeah. It's, it, for me, it's a, it's a tough sight to see, but uh, I feel very called to help. My backstory is I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life ever since college and um, have had the what, what people define as the greatest successes. I've, I've had a couple exits. I had some acquisitions of my businesses, fortune mm -hmm. 500, but I've also had the, the deepest valleys. I, I, on the verge of bankrupting myself, uh, lost my house, my possessions, lost everything, uh, by trying to be an angel investor, entering a space. I had no clue what I was doing. It's just like, Oh, let's make it rain money. And I blew all <laughs> my money. Uh, and, uh, I've gone through depression as a result, but, all when was that, that? What what time frame? That was two thousand eight, so twelve years ago. I remember distinctly. So, just to flash forward that story, I mm -hmm. I sold two businesses. I I'm an early I'm a millionaire in my early thirties. 
I'm like, I got all to figure it out. And I was just full of arrogance and ignorance. Um, also known as a dick, by the way, I found the, <laughs> I was a dick and, um, I decided to start a, uh, were you a big uh, dick though? Well, uh, yeah, not really a big dick. I was kind of an incog. The funny thing is now I say I'm dickless, which I think is even worse, right? I've de-dictified, <laughs> but I, uh, I, um, I became an angel investor because I knew everything about business. I was so smart. Right. Um, and I had no clue what I was doing. I got my ass handed to me. I was thinking I could buy my way out of it. I just, you know, all the classic, classic mistakes. Yeah. And I uh, lost my house over it, my possessions. And my, I remember my daughter, the, the defining moment in my life was when my daughter, nine years old, she ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank and gave, came back to me and says, Daddy, Daddy, since you can't provide for our family, I'll do it. Oh and uh, yeah, I actually, I gotta get, be careful about telling that because if I get too much detail, I'll cry. Um, yeah. That became like a, holy crap, Mike, you gotta get yourself figured out. And it wasn't like the next morning I woke up, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a genius. The next morning I started drinking. I was depressed for two years. And, um, but I did start investigating what I didn't understand about entrepreneurship, which I believe now is very little. So every book I write is because I'm doing a deep investigation into things I don't understand. Um, so I'm, I don't know if I have knowledge as much as I'm trying to capture knowledge, uh, right. selfishly for myself and to serve other entrepreneurs. And that's where I am now, a full-time author for small business, uh, yeah. owners. Well, I think that it, the world's changing so quickly that we have to continue to learn. And he is, who is most curious and is willing to apply and try and correct and continue, I think is going to win the race. Yeah. So what do you, how can you? Tell us about your book and tell us about maybe at the same time, a little bit what we're going through right now. Yeah. So I, ironically, Rock, I wrote my newest book. It's called Fix This Next. And I wrote it specifically for crisis. I was, how I define crisis or what I was expecting was what they call microeconomic crisis, where a business sees a shift in its own little micro economy or chasm. Maybe the market changes or a, con a competitor really comes in and starts taking customers. Disrupting. Yeah, disrupting. But really what we're in now is macroeconomic crisis, global shift, which mm -hmm. triggers all these little micro phenomena. Like a, a big tornado comes through or hurricane and little cells of tornadoes spin out. That's mm -hmm. what's happening. So I feel this book was born for this. What the realization was is that most entrepreneurs in crisis or challenge simply go into addressing all the apparent issues in front of them. They, they become firefighters on hyperspeed. In fact, we're usually firefighters for our business, even in good times. But in crisis, now it just gets amplified. So businesses start, owners start spinning faster and faster, moving nowhere. They start getting in the muck and go out of business as a result, if they're willing to give up. And um, what I wrote Fix This Next for was to pinpoint what's the one thing your business needs from you now. Now, all the things you can do, what's the one thing you must do to move this business forward? And how do you easily identify it? Once you identify it, do it. So that's what Fix This Next is. It's finding the this, finding what to fix next. And so you wrote six books and what's been the evolution of your appreciation or the, the distinctions of the successful entrepreneur? So I, you already started hitting on the elements. Uh, I, I first think that we challenge ourselves in our own thoughts. And this is something I struggle with. I have an idea. I'm like, this is the most amazing idea ever. And we put a structure in to really challenge our ideas. Sometimes it's as you grow an organization, other people. So I have colleagues here that will challenge my thoughts. Um, and uh, sometimes it's other structures by simply looking for empirical data and testing. By challenging your thoughts, I'm not saying disregard our thoughts. I'm saying we still generate thoughts, but refine them so they become applicable. So I think that's one thing. 
I think another thing is uh, that entrepreneurs that are successful sell the tell. And what I mean by this is early stages of entrepreneurship, at least what I did was if I had an idea, I'd tell a community of potential customers and say, what do you think of my idea? And they say, it's wonderful. I'm like, that's right. It is wonderful. Like, it's fantastic. Would you buy this? Absolutely. I'm like, okay. And I devote my time and effort to developing it. I bring it to them on a silver platter months later. And I'm like, it's time to buy. And they're like, oh, we don't want this now. And I'm like, what? You said you wanted it. They're like, well, we thought it was a great idea, but I don't need it. What I found is sell the tell is, can I get people to open their wallets? Trust people's wallets, not their words. So if I can say, I got this great idea, and people are like, that sounds fantastic. I'm like, great, put down a deposit of $500. Then I'll get the truth if it's a value or not. And to really filter out listening to people's words instead of listening to their actions. There's other elements too, but those are the ones that come top yeah. of mind that are so important. So, so that's interesting you say that because I'm a big believer of sell it before you make it. And for the very reason that you just talked about. And I believe that a lot of people are afraid of selling. So there's two businesses within a business. So you can be a massage therapist or you can have a basket weaving company, but you have to go find a client. So you get excited or have these people go, I'm a rock, I'm gonna write a book. I go, great, and, and what's the plan? Oh, I'm gonna make a bunch of money. I go, you're not gonna make a bunch of money on writing a book unless you're a celebrity or you have a distribution channel. Mm -hmm. So don't spend two years doing it with the hope of making money. But I really believe that they want to hide behind their fear of rejection or having to go out there and promote themselves. So can you speak to that a little bit in your working with entrepreneurs? How do you help people become more promoters? Because most people have trouble with that. Most people do. And I get kind of soapboxy. So I'll try to prevent it now. But I'm, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I'm like, you have a damned responsibility to sell. And I, well, yeah. what do you mean? Well, here's what happens is c consumers are going to buy no matter what, if, if they are seeking a solution at a certain point, they're going to pull the trigger. I would actually even argue in a pandemic as we're experiencing now where there's crisis, economic crisis, buyers continue to buy, but they buy with even less consideration. Now, when they got buyers, like just get it done, get the thing we need and they move. So consideration goes down. There is unscrupulous providers and there's scrupulous providers. There's unscrupulous ones who say, I don't give a crap what I sell as long as I get the money. They're all focused on what's in it for them. Then there's the good providers who care about the relationship with the client, caring for the customer, and they're being a fair exchange. It's ironic. It's those people that want to care for the customer and say, I shouldn't sell to them. That feels creepy. And what they're doing as a result is they're simply telling the buyer, buy from the, the unscrupulous guy. Buy from the guy that's going to rip, rip you off. So the real simple question is, look at your offering, your product or service right now. Is it better serving the customer than your competition? If you really know it's better than the competition, you have a damn responsibility to sell. The customer's gonna buy. They need to buy your offering because it's superior. But shame on you, shame on us for not selling it. So that, that's why I tell people, it's, I, you're afraid to sell, you gotta flip it on itself. You, you have a responsibility to sell, regardless of your fear. Care for your customer if your offering's better. So tell us a little bit about, uh, we're gonna go back a little bit because yeah. you sold two of your companies. Uh, before the age of 35. Yeah. Um, that's pretty impressive for most people to create a company, let alone sell it. So yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So I thought it was impressive too, right? Until I became the dick. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so uh, company one, I was doing computer networks. I started uh, out of college, right after college, I started the business. And the reason I started it is because that's what was my vocation. I understood how to work on computers. So I did the obvious, the technical work. 
And uh, what I found is it's not nearly as easy as you said. Like when you start a massage therapy studio because you're like, oh, I can give massage. I had no realization that you have to sell and manage and run and operate. There's always other elements. But it did trigger fear for me, which it triggers for most of us. But I found fear is an excellent tool as a motivator to keep the business going. So I was so afraid of failure now. I was working five in the morning till five the next morning. I was working around the clock. Right. Um, but at a certain point, fear becomes exhausting and stressful and can, and can kill you, right? The stress. So at a certain point, it has to turn to confidence. And it, it took me a few years, but at a certain point, it's like, oh, okay, at least I understand there's predictability. I have confidence. Um, I grew to, I think it was a couple of million in revenue before private equity came in and bought it. And uh, the one thing to be very careful with is a couple million dollars in revenue is not a couple million dollars in my pocket. I, I didn't right. understand that. The, the right. business was a break-even business at best. Right. It was just skating by. Yeah. My second business was in computer crime investigation. Um, started that with a partner, right place, right time. Had no idea the value of that. I opened the business six months later, the Enron trial broke and my company got the call, the call to work on the Enron case. Not the prosecution, that's handled by the government, mm -hmm. but the defense side. So. Uh, Kenneth Lay, Andrew Fasto, their legal team called us and said, hey, can you do this analysis? And I, I, I remember, Rock, they, I go, um, yeah, of course. I said, what's your budget? And they said, it's about $50,000. And I was like, okay. You know, these projects we're doing were kind of big. And I was like, well, okay. And I said, we, we can work that. And then they finished the sentence. They said, $50,000 a day. We have to spend. And yeah, I was like, uh, hold on. I, 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 got to, <laughs> I got to talk to my team, right? I sit there and you can see this like scraggly beard. I have an Inviso beard that goes real long. And I start playing with it. And I'm like, oh my God. And I pick up the phone and said, I just talked to my team. I think we can work within your budget. That case uh, put us on the map. And financially, it was a big, a massive boost, but it put on the map too, because then Michael Jackson's attorney called us, Christy Brinkley's attorney, she got wow. divorced. And we started getting celebrity cases, and then we got all the big cases. It was, we were two and a half years in, and in that half year, we were going to run for $7 million of revenue. We had never, we was purely bootstrapped, but also it wasn't that profitable. Every time we were making a penny, we we're spending it, you know, to get bigger. Well, Thank God, because I was building this albatross. I didn't even realize it, it was getting heavier and heavier. Mm -hmm. a, a Fortune 500 called uh, Robert Half International came in, acquired us. It was a strategic acquisition and became a millionaire as a result of selling my companies. And uh, I was like, I got this figured out. Right. I never grew, those businesses were never healthy. I, I was, I thought pump and dump was the solution to success. And, and now I found out. No, no. It's, it's longevity. It's, it's being in for the long game. It's fiscal discipline. It's a lot of smart, yeah. small elements that accumulate. I have two questions for you, but one of them is around a money blueprint. And I really believe that we all have a DNA on our, about our money because of the way we were raised. We saw our yeah. parents handle money. We saw them not handle money. And then when we get a million dollars or $2 million, then we can live through that programming. So you took this, this, sale you became a millionaire you had the wealth and then you went to angel investing how much of it do you think was was affected by your money blueprint or what might have been your money blueprint does that make sense yeah it does make sense um i think so my parents have always been uh frugal but but successful according to the stand, the u.s standards right so success you gotta be very careful with this you know, so they, they it was middle middle class and um but always just frugal and, and watching because both of my parents uh 
for my age, my parents were kind of old. So my parents were both grew up during World War II. Uh, my mother was German, experienced the bombings. She saw her, her house occupied by the British military. My father uh, actually was, was an, a soldier during World War II in uh, the occupation of Japan. So they, they, they came out of the Great Depression in 1929. Like they, 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 they were still part of that greatest generation. So that, that was kind of still instilled in me. Yeah. But, you know, as you start making money, parents, they don't get what life is like in modern times. And, and here comes the big spender. So in the beginning, I was careful and careful. And then, like, you know, uh, being careful is, is the antithesis of the right thing. I need to take on risk because risk is reward. And, and I went, I started moving, the pendulum started the shift until it all collapsed. And then it thrust me back onto, hold on. I wonder if you can be safe and take risks. Like, you know, I wonder if, if, if my whole perceptions is one or the other's wrong and there's a blend. And that's how I see it today. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, <clears throat> one of the things I find as an entrepreneur is most challenging is hiring talent and finding talent and, and bringing the talent up and letting them have the proper opportunities. What do you do in your business to make sure that that is a strong component of what you do? So uh, I'm researching extensively. I'm working on a book because I think the ultimate question we ask is how to make employees act like owners. And so uh, I've been researching this. We're actually testing it. So I, I, I today, my uh, own multiple businesses, I actually rarely call myself an entrepreneur anymore as much as a shareholder. So I own three businesses. I'm a shareholder in three businesses, but mm -hmm. I'm not an entrepreneur because the word entrepreneur has become so bastardized with just, you got to work harder, hustle, grind. Right. So I have other extraordinary people that are managing operations. So I use these also as, as a test bed. And so when it comes to hiring, um, there's a couple of things we found that work. One thing is just the way we advertise for the position has to be different. You know, I, I look at all the advertisements out there and they're, uh, it's always the same, like amazing company looking for a person that's really driven and you have lots of potential to make lots of money. And we, we were like, okay, so if everyone does that, why don't we say something that's really raw and true? So we say, uh, cool job opportunity for a business where the pay can honestly suck. That is literally our opening <laughs> thing. And it says, if, if you're looking to get rich, we're not the company for you. And uh, it, it, it's interesting, there is a whole community of employees that are not looking to make more money they're looking for part-time work to get out of the house, to do something fun, to experience a different element of life. It's not about the money. Yet every sale, every position is about people looking to make more money. So I was trying to add for people looking to have more fun or have better experience. So we say pay socks. Um, we, we call it the inoculation. We, we, we put all the crappy things about us. My one office, I tell you, it's a five-story building. It's three stories up, walk up. It's a historic building. There's no elevator. So we say, uh, the nice thing is, um, we include a free gym membership and an apprentice. <laughs> it says, if you consider walking up down three flights of steps every day, a cardiovascular workout, those elements attract the right culture. Right. We, we also, and this is a really smart technique at the very end of the ad. And we do these long ads. I mean, paragraph after paragraph detailing everything near the end. It says, if you're actually reading this entire ad, please include the words. I read the entire ad as your subject line in the email response. So we know you've read it. And, we, we find sadly, maybe only 10% of people are actually read the entire ad. Yeah. The other 90%, you're definitely not a fit for us. This is not of interest to you or us, but those 10% are much more qualified people. So that's, that's one thing we do other things. I'll give you two more like hacks um, that we're testing. Well, we've Love tested it. and we've done. All right, so one more hack is I'll ask you, I'm curious what your response is. On the first day of an employee's first day of work, who is the most important influencer about that day? Like who's the person that will most determine 
um, how they perceive the job for the rest of their career with your company? Who do you think? Well, in our case, whoever's training that person. Right. That's exactly the, what I say too, right? That's what I exactly said and thought. I actually found there's a different person. And oh. I, I never knew who it was. The person with the most influence is the loved one at home. And here's the, here's the defining moment. I think this may land with you, Rock. That employee, when they return from their first day of work, there's a guaranteed question they'll be asked. When they walk in the, in the door, the How person will say, How, yeah, how was your first day? Right? And the, the employees either going to say, we're going to say it was, it was horrible or it was boring and nothing really happened or it was great. That person, that loved one's going to then make a judgment on the company and for the rest of their life is going to say, oh, that company sucks. That company, right. you're going back to those jackasses. Right. The most important person to be served on that first day is actually that loved one at home. So here's how we do wow. it. You come in, say you worked at our company, Rock. The first day yep. when you show up, your computer's set up, your email's already configured, there's a business card waiting for you, your desk is cleaned, there's balloons, uh, every employee sits here uh, around a circle, we, we, we play some games, we, we just learn and meet each other. We're prepared. Uh, we take you out to lunch. At the very end of the day, during the interview process, we learn the things that you personally like. We actually give you a gift and say, hey, here's a little celebration of you because you decided to join us. Along with that gift, there's a second gift. And we say, don't open this one, this is another gift for the person at home in your life. It could be a, a parent or a loved one or a child river. And said so during the interviews, you mentioned your spouse. Uh, this is a gift for them. So now when you come home and your spouse goes, <laughs> how was your first day at work? You're like, uh, you actually got a gift. <laughs> now the spouse opens it and says, it says, uh, we know Rock's decision to work with us was not a soul made decision or a decision made in exclusivity. We know that you were part of the decision. We are proud and honored to be working with Rock, and we're, we're, we're humbled that you supported him in making this decision. Enjoy this gift. Freaking now the brilliant. spouse is like, you work for the best company ever. Go, go, baby, go. Every morning when you're coming in to work at our company, you have a cheerleader at home that's going to crush it today. That is a big find. Brilliant, brilliant. Are you guys hearing this? This is awesome. And uh, th thank you. And the last thing I want to share is... Uh, we have an operating manual. It's hanging outside my door, hangs out of everyone's desk and door here in our offices. It's called an operations manual. And what it is, is how to communicate the person. Just like if you are opening a computer box yeah. and, it's, and there's that quick start guide, here's the five things. It says, uh, Mike's a, uh, a quick start or whatever. Actually, I actually can't right. remember my title. You know, you can communicate to him in bullet points. Otherwise he'll lose right. his mind. Um, but he, he's, a, he's a social guy too. So ask him how his family's doing but don't ask him much beyond that because he'll lose focus. Right. You know, he's great at these tasks, he sucks at these, um, and a couple other elements. We have that for every single employee. So I know like Jenna, who's a quality time focus, that, that when I sit with her, we better talk for a while, five or 10 minutes about family and connection and how right. she's doing. So she feels appreciation and then we can get to the task at hand. But right. she knows when she's coming in to ask me something, so don't spend much time on family, couple right. of words, how we doing, yeah. and let's go up to the races. Yeah. That has been a very powerful communication tool. So it's an assessment kind of a thing, like a disc model. People understand and can speak to that. Yeah, we used, uh, there's a thing called predictive index. We okay. used uh, another thing called um, uh, appreciation languages. There's this thing called the five love languages. There's a yes. variant called the five appreciation languages for work. Okay. Cool. And then there's a self-assessment too. Like people yeah. just fill in and say, this is, this is what I like. Yeah. Mike, we could go on forever and you're dropping such gold. So I really, really want to thank you. And if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, um, you got your, you know, the, the value is already delivered to you. I would listen to this again and take notes and actually take action on it. Like there's some real gems in there. 
Um, how can people get in touch with you, follow you, buy your books? What's the best way? Rock, the best way, go to one website. So I, I have the book in my hand right here. It's fixthisnext.com is the website for Fix This Next. And uh, the, the cool thing I have going on there right now is if you go to fixthisnext.com, we have a free evaluation. You can evaluate your business, regardless of the size, regardless of what your status is in your business right now. It evaluate your business and it'll pinpoint the one thing that you need to work on next. Instead of trying to do everything, what's the one thing to work on? It does it. It's free. There's no download. You can get the test done in five minutes at fixthisnext.com. I love it. I love it. Great value. So who would you say is your ideal client? Like who's the person that you can move furthest, fastest down the road? Uh, Sub, sub million dollar companies. We work with small business. So if, if, uh, if you're, if you got a hot, do you know, a hot dog stand, we might be able to help you. If you've got five hot dog stands, we can definitely help you. If you have 5,000, you're out of our realm. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, Michael, I want to thank you for joining us. You are a superstar and you are a blessing for entrepreneurs that need the help, especially today. So thanks for coming on our show. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.